Okay, welcome, welcome all to the podcast right here. I am Joshua Johnson, and we got our co-host Hunter Levy, and we have Danny Brigman, ultra marathoner extraordinaire. How's it going, Danny? <laughs> good, good. How are you guys? Doing good. Trying to survive the heat and everything that's going on. He's gonna break a hundred hundred digits here. Yeah, that's. I'm glad I'm leaving as soon as that heat wave's really going to hit us. I'm headed to Montana in the mountains. Nice. So tell <laughs> tell us about this crazy mountain 100. What what is this? All right. So this is a the first ever um, 100 mile ultra marathon in Montana. Um, so this will be the first time they're doing this race. Uh, the race director uh, Megan Dehan. She's a rancher in Montana and she's been super helpful. So this is my first hundred miler. And I told her, I think she's kind of spoiling me, setting the bar pretty high for any other future race directors. Cause uh, she's awesome. She had to go get um, permissions from different landowners. Cause there's private lands. It's all in the crazy mountain, mountain range in Montana. And um, so, yeah, that starts uh, Friday at 6 AM. And then we have 36 hours to finish it. So, uh, course will be ending Saturday at 6 PM. Wow. So how, yeah. How long are you planning on going for? Um, man, I, my only goal is to finish. So as long as I finish within 36 hours, it's great. I don't have any other goals beyond that. I don't want to get my hopes up too high. This being my first ever hundred. So I'm like, man, just as long as we finish, we're good. Okay. How is the training process for a hundred different than other ultra marathons you've done before are you altering anything in in the training in the way you're getting ready given that it's such a such a long event or is it pretty similar just scaled up yeah so a lot of it's scaled up um, i'm actually i appreciate being called an extraordinaire uh, i'm pretty new to the ultra game uh, i ran my first ultra in april a 50 miler um, the ancient lakes 50 miler and yeah so I kind of had to change some things along the way like you really find out running ultras like you know oh hey I love this pair of shoes these are awesome but my feet cannot take them for 50 miles or anything more than that so all right yeah let's let's adjust let's find something new so you got to tweak a lot of different things something that was really different I had to wrap my mind around was like um eating food while running not just having your gels or your chewies or whatever like you know like it's weird to wrap my mind around like eating potato chips because I just think of it as like a junk food but like I need some potato chips to get the carbs and the salt and everything like so that's been something to really have to wrap my mind around and really try and hone in on and then like a lot of it too is like um, I'm sure if you talk to many ultra runners they'll tell you like how much of it's also mental is just to get your mind in that spot to push through. Um, especially once you get into like the races, like you're going to want to quit. There's no like, Oh yeah, this is going to be a good race. I'm going to feel good the whole time and we're going to finish it and I'll have a good time. Like, no, there's going to be lows. It's just a matter of how you're going to deal with it. And so that's definitely haven't been something to go through. And that 50 miler was definitely a challenge. Once I hit like mile 32, 33 of like hitting that wall and like, okay, like I've never hit this wall. Like, how am I going to pull myself out of this? And I was lucky enough to have a friend be a pacer for me for a little bit. So he's able to pull me out because it's a, 
your mind just goes to a different place where in training and before it, you can think like, okay, yeah, every 45 minutes, I'm going to have this gel. I'm going to drink so many ounces of water every hour. Everything's going to be dialed in. And then once you get that far, like your mind almost gets cloudy or in a fog to where you didn't realize you haven't had gels in that long or you think you're fine, but you're not. And so it's just really need to stay strict on those different little things where you can totally get away with it, like in a half marathon or a marathon of like, oh yeah, you know, I was, I didn't drink quite as much as I needed to, or yeah, you know, I didn't have as many gels or calories or whatever calories you take in. Like, oh yeah, that wasn't enough. But once you hit those ultra distances, it's like, no, you have to be disciplined. That all has to be dialed in. And so that was definitely something through figuring out through training. And then like, yeah, you know, you just really need to experiment in training, you know, even down to the, like what you're going to wear. So like, I had this one running tank. I'm like, oh man, this thing, this running tank looks so cool. This is what I'm going to wear. And I throw my vest on. All right, man, let's go on like a 30 mile run. And then just rub me raw under my arms. I'm like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Not doing that tank. That's getting thrown out for this race. Not going to happen. So like, you even have to try out like those sorts of things to where, yeah, these different shorter runs, it's not going to rub you as much or maybe half marathon you don't need a vest or you just need a belt or something to where you really have to dial everything in and experiment with everything and uh i've been pretty thankful that for the most part like i have an iron gut so i can do all the runner don'ts of you know don't try anything new on race day don't try their gels if you haven't done it in training or their foods or their drinks it's like man i could try whatever on race day and be fine thankfully but uh, yeah, even having to experiment with that just to reassure myself that my stomach's going to be fine. And I know that's something really challenging for other runners to try and dial that sort of stuff in. And yeah, so it's, it's a lot of experimentation to figure out what works and what doesn't and to get over those mental hurdles and really just trying to dial in your schedule to make sure you have time on top of your regular personal work-life balance now you have to find time to get a six hour run in or something like that. And so it's just being really disciplined. Wow. So what, what keeps you going? What keeps you running when the, when you hit the wall, so to speak, when those times get tough? Yeah. So I kind of go to a couple different places to kind of keep myself moving. Um, usually the first place I'll kind of go is um, I got, two daughters they're four and three years old aspen and lakin and so i'll kind of one of the first places i'll go i'll think of them and like think about them if they were there watching me what would they think you know i don't want to give up i kind of want to set the example for them even if they're not there of like hey you know like you can do this like you can set your mind to something you can get it done and kind of almost like they're so young where they're happy for me no matter what but almost like setting myself up to walk the walk with them once they're older of like no you know you can get through these tough things we can get through it this isn't the worst thing that's ever happened you can stay strong and get through it like look you know I've done this and then also um it's not quite a mantra because it's not quite the same phrase but like another place where I'll go especially when I'm really physically hurting is um my my grandmother she was a survivor of the boarding schools um 
she went to a couple different boarding schools down here in Washington. And then um, her father and her sister went to the Kamloops residential school in um, Canada. And so once the uh, mass grave of the 215 children at Kamloops, once that kind of surfaced and became really public, that's something that really hit home for me. And uh, cause that came out in about May of 2021 and my grandma, she had passed in January of 2021. And um, I was kind of thankful that she had passed before that surfaced. So it didn't have to um, trigger anything for her. But whenever I hit these walls and I'm in any sort of pain, you know, I've had like double quad cramps and double calf cramps at the same time. And I'm just hurting. Everything's hurting. I just kind of go and think of that, of what my grandma, what my great grandpa, you know, great aunts, what they had to go through going through the boarding school system of if there was any, you know, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, anything like that, what they had to endure for me to be here today running this run. And whatever pain I'm feeling, no matter how bad I'm hurting in this run, it's nothing compared to what they went through. And they went through all of that so I could be here today. So if they can do that and survive that, I can survive these next few miles, these next few hours or whatever it is and finish this race. That's powerful. Wow. So what well, I do want to talk about Kamloops. Um, so since you brought it up, I guess we'll just go into that. So our Listeners probably don't know what that is. And also on the website of the Renew Earth Running, where Danny is the board member, one of the board member, founding board members of, it has um, one of your tribal affiliations. I, I knew you were part of the Spokane tribe, but then there's another one uh, that begins with a T and I'm not going to try to pronounce it. So could you explain <laughs> that, that tribe and the connection to Kamloops and the massacre and so on? Yeah, um, so I'm going to totally butcher it too. Um, I, because the, um, I don't know if you want to call it the colonized version of the tribe, the band's name was the Chushwap band. And uh, they went to the traditional name and it's, I'm going to totally butcher it. So I apologize to any of my fellow band members or family members, but it's like to Kemloops to Shushemwik. Uh, it's along those lines wow but um yeah so uh, i'm a member of both that's in british columbia just north of washington and um so yeah uh i have family up there the leonard family and so what was going on um the residential school system was happening parallel with the boarding school system here in the u.s where um the government was taking the children from the different bands or tribes on the reservations and taking them to these schools to live there and be raised it was primarily ran um through religious groups um catholics christians um jesuits and try and to assimilate them into the u.s or into canada into that mainstream society and to break their ties from their um native communities and so that was their goal 
but in doing so, they were extremely underfunded. Um, so many times they didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough blankets or bunks or clothing. And so it was really, really bad living conditions and their abuse was prevalent. Uh, kids would routinely be beaten for speaking their language and not speaking in English. And some of the children would be taken from their homes as young as three years old. And for something like for me, that's hard for me to wrap my mind around having a three and four year old. Uh, and I couldn't imagine, you know, how helpless feeling if someone, the government or whoever kicked in my door, took my kid and there's nothing I could do about it. And so these kids are brought into that system and they were told that their traditional ways, everything they were taught was wrong and they needed to assimilate and live this lifestyle. And um, it was traumatic. And there was, like I mentioned, there's lots of physical abuse, but also sexual abuse, whether it was boys and girls, a lot of that happened there and it was covered up and there were a lot of kids that would run away and many of the ones who ran away would get caught and brought back and beat more to deter them from running away. There are other ones that ran away and um, died out in the elements or on their way trying to find back home. And there were some that did make it home and it was really traumatic. And so with this mass burial of 215 children, what that was, was because the living conditions were so bad, because the abuse was so prevalent, children were dying in these schools. So there were grave sites at these schools. And that's just something like for anyone to think about of like having a, I don't even know if you could really call it a cemetery because a lot of them were unmarked, but essentially having a cemetery at your school because kids are dying in it. That's just, I can't wrap my mind around it. And what was happening, um, was in a lot of these instances, they would uh, they would tell the kids they were digging holes to plant apple trees or whatever trees plant whatever. Um, the the one example I could think of that's why I said apple trees was um, Matilda Sampson. She spoke at an event we had last year. Her and her brother that. They thought the brothers, he was, I believe it was the brother, he was elaborating that uh, he thought they were digging holes to plant apple trees. And then the next year when there were no apple trees growing, he was wondering what happened. And it wasn't until he was a little bit older, he realized they were digging graves. So they were having the children dig the graves for the other children. And since this was happening, you know, it's not like they're going to keep a good record of what kids are dying in these schools and all of that. So a lot of it is undocumented. I won't say unknown because a lot of the indigenous communities know um, that's the band up there in Kamloops. They knew what was what had happened at that school they had living survivors of what went through it but as to really put it into context and to put concrete numbers behind it of 215 children were found in this mass burial and you know that kind of 
um, cause a lot of people to wake up to the issue and acknowledge it and um, cause somewhat of a movement, especially down here in the U.S. where other boarding school sites were starting to be searched and more and more children were being found. Um, I can't remember what the count is now, the rough estimate, but it, it's in the thousands. And if you talk to just about anybody in Indian country, they know that that's not close to the total. But there's so, so many more schools that haven't been searched. And so we know the number is only going to grow. Wow. It's hard to imagine. So were, were some of those like deaths from plague or sickness, like in addition to maltreatment? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't say for certain, you know, which illnesses, but that definitely was prevalent there, too. Um, yeah, to where if you can imagine if they don't have enough funding for food and clothing and blankets, they don't have enough funding there for adequate health care. And just the way that children were being viewed as um, being inferior. Um, they wouldn't have gotten the same care. So yeah, there was a lot of illness prevalent within these boring schools and residential schools as well. So the race you did that you put on was in honor of 250, these 215 children, right? So did you mm -hmm. tell us about that? Did you run like 215 miles or laps, something like that, if I can remember right? Yeah, so um, once all that, kind of came out um thankfully through uh instagram there's like an awesome native running community and i saw different people trying to do what they could to try and raise awareness um through the native women running uh instagram account ran by verna volker she was doing a 2.15 mile run a virtual run people were posting and sharing and so i i wanted to do something too but I knew for my community here, if I ran 2.15 miles, um, I'd feel good, but I don't know if it would really accomplish the mission of raising awareness here locally. And so I wanted to try and figure out something I could do. And so I was like, man, what about 215 miles? And so the first step was like, okay, where could I run? That's 215 miles. What would be a good route? And so I was able to pin down the route from here on the Spokane Indian Reservation in Welpen at our admin building and would run uh, through the reservation up Highway 25 to Colville, Washington, and then go to Republic, Washington, to uh, Tenasket, down to OMAC, and then to finish in the Spelum on the Colville Reservation at their um, admin building. So it'd be running from admin building to admin building. And once I mapped that out, then I was trying to guesstimate of, okay, how long would this take me to do it? I mean, at that point I ran a marathon in 2018 and I felt like death. I told myself never again. <laughs> and so I was like eyeballing 215 miles and I'm like, man, I don't think I could do that. And if I did, that would take me like a week at least. I'm like, man, I can't afford to take a week off of work. So then I was thinking like, man, maybe I can get a couple people to run with me. Uh, maybe I just put it out there and I could get two, three, maybe four people and uh, I could 
get a van maybe from my tribe and we just do a relay together instead of a van falling and take turns running. And um, so I put it out there and it's like, yeah, who wants to run with me? Here's, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing it for. And I just had overwhelming support um, from the community of, I had a bunch of people who wanted to run with me. I had a bunch of other people who couldn't um, run, but they wanted to be involved. How could they volunteer or could they donate, you know, water or um, financial donations or whatever. And so I'm like, okay, man, this is going to be real. And uh, it was maybe naive at the time, but it ended up working out. So I'm not quite sure how naive it was, but I only gave myself two weeks to plan this whole thing. Because up until this whole decision, you know, I still had my runs planned, my races planned out for the year. And I was trying to figure out a good time to do this relay. I'm like, man, I want to do it in July because as we talked about how hot it is right now, we're about to experience a heat wave. And I'm like, and I don't want to wait till long, too long and kind of lose our momentum on this movement. So I'm like, yeah, I got a race this weekend and I got a race, you know, two weeks after that. So let's do the weekend in between, which ended up being two weeks out from when I first planned it. And uh, so once I did that, and I had all that support. I had to start coordinating and making sure I had approval from Department of Transportation because we'd be primarily on state highway, um, talk to different local um, police in the different communities to make sure that, you know, they're okay with us coming through. I want to make sure everything was okay. That's the last thing I'd want would be me be responsible for this event and have us get shut down during it or even have someone get hurt or injured. And so I had to jump through all the hoops and then uh, organize all my different people who wanted to run, but they said they can only run this far or at this time and to try and have to guesstimate where to put people over 215 miles because they're like, okay, yeah, I can run from this town to this town and I have to try and tell them when to be there. And that's a hundred miles into this race. And so um, I had some help, but thankfully we were able to coordinate that. And uh, my tribe, they let me borrow two different vans because that was going to be something key to me that, especially being on state highways and um, Josh, I'm sure as a runner, you can relate to this where, you know, cars can be scary when you run on the road. Not every car is going to give you enough room. And uh, so I wanted to make sure we had a van with our runner at all times just to provide that buffer. And so we know our runner safe. And so we would keep one van with the runner and the other van would be our shuttle because if someone was like, Hey, I can show up, you know, at mile hundred and run to mile one Oh seven. Well, now they're going to need a ride back to their vehicle at mile 100. And so that second van was kind of shuttling people back and forth. And we had to kind of um, cash away some supplies along the route and kind of jockey that around. And it was awesome. We ended up having, I think it was 30 runners overall. Um, you know, there's different little hiccups along the way, miscommunications of a, that's what's hard too, is trying to um, make sure everyone's on the same page of when their start, where their run starts and where their run finishes. And it's like a lot of different places. It's like, okay, here's the best name for your starting point and let me try and tell you where to be. But then they're two miles up the road from there. 
and just those different little quirks working through that but that all worked out and then uh you know having to work through different challenges like that first day man I think it was like upper 90s and so we were just cycling through runners we had three or four runners on board thankfully and this one person was supposed to run 13 miles and they just couldn't it was too hot so every like two or three miles we were just rotating runners through just to try and make sure we can get the miles done and to keep everybody safe and just to cycle through people. And then, um, it was awesome. It ended up working out. Um, there's, a like, like the canoe journey. So the local tribes, they, um, they all paddle their canoes up the Columbia river to signal the return of the salmon when the salmon runs would be. And it just so happened to be the same weekend as their canoe journey. So as they're finishing up, heading up the Columbia River, we're on the state highway running alongside the river. And so they were able to meet us in Kettle Falls, which was a real traditional meeting area where the, all the local tribes would meet up for the salmon run. And they were there waiting for us runners to come through. And they had a bunch of drinks for us and Subway and everything else. And it was awesome. And uh, the the paddlers they actually on the spot volunteered to run in the relay knowing they had to paddle in the morning too, that they weren't done. And, um, it was just awesome because at that point I was scheduled to have ran zero miles, but I had like 20 miles, maybe like 15 miles under my belt. And I was about to have to run up Sherman pass. Um, and thankfully those guys, they all volunteered and like, no, we got this. Don't worry about it. And so they had a crew of like maybe it's like six to eight paddlers. And, you know, they woke up that day not thinking they were running. So like they had jean shorts on. They had they were wearing like some vans and like Chuck Taylors and just whatever they were on. Like, yeah, no, we want to be a part of this. We want to help. And it was just awesome. They all they had their own rigs and they just kept taking turns hopping out and they conquered the Sherman Pass by themselves, which was awesome. And uh at that point, that was during the night. We got into Republic at like one in the morning, I think. And there was local people in Republic that were, some of them were alongside the streets, you know, kind of cheering us on, asking us if we needed anything. And that was kind of something that was key to me when I was planning this route. Cause um, I worked with the Colville tribe to make sure they were okay with this event. And I wanted them to feel involved in it as well. And uh, they proposed different routes, and, but I wanted to stay on this route because um, a little bit of what I touched on earlier, kind of these, the local, the tribal communities in Indian country, we know what happened at these boarding schools and residential schools. And the goal of this is to raise awareness and the awareness needs to be raised outside of our communities. So it was key to me to obviously fin start and finish on our reservations, but to pass through the non-native communities. Cause that, that was our goal is to let's, let's show them this and let's get the conversation going and make sure they're aware. Cause that's what, that's the end goal at the end of the day. And so, yeah, we ran through those non-native communities and um, end up having to run all through the night. I ran through sunrise. And at that point I thought I was done. And at that point I had, I think like 30 something miles. I was like, all right, you know, I'm done. I can kind of just sit back. Everyone else is 
planned. Everything will go smoothly. And of course it didn't. Um, I tried to get some sleep after finishing that last and I couldn't, I was just, I was too wired from the run. I was, it was so much excitement. And, uh, um, then yeah, we started running from Tenasket to OMAC and the traffic just got way too bad. People were driving way too aggressively. Um, there's a two lane highway and we had cars going three wide trying to pass us. And we were already on the shoulder of the road. We saw cars going head on, just trying to get around us. And, uh, we were just about to the point where um, a local high school cross-country team was going to start running with us, um, Curlew High School. All um, non-natives, I believe, on the cross-country team, they just wanted to help them be a part. And I'm like, this isn't safe for them. You know, uh, I don't want to put anybody in danger, especially these kids who are trying to do the right thing. Um, that's the last thing I want is for something to happen to any of us, but especially these kids. And so I told um, the rest of the relay to drive up to OMAC and resume the relay from there and continue and let the kids run there, that it'd be safer, but that I was going to finish these last 12 miles to make sure we got every single mile in for every single kid that was found in that um, mass burial. And um, I was thankful that uh, my dad was there. And for once, I was thankful he was hard-headed. Because uh, I kept trying to tell him, no, go forward with the relay. All you guys go up there. Just let me finish out these miles. It's too dangerous um, to have the van. Let me, I'll just stay way off on the shoulder. I'll be fine. But he was stubborn, just like I was. And he stayed with me. And thankfully, because I severely underestimated how much water I'd need. I went through like six water bottles on that stretch because it was heat of the day. And for those who don't know, like, that OMAC area, it's like high desert. It's just, there's no shade. It's all sagebrush and sand. It was just super hot there on the pavement. And um, at that point, my legs were hurting so bad. Like I could even granny jog. I, I had never been at that moment in my life before. I've always been like, oh yeah, I can at least get a jog in, you know, just real slow. And so I was just like trying to power walk. And then, um, uh, once we were finally coming into OMAC, because my, my little finish line was the Walmart there in OMAC, and that's where the other um, the next driver was waiting. Because we also had to shuttle our drivers, because you know we didn't want anybody driving for that whole period, you know, trying to stay awake. So our next driver was waiting there, and um, it was at that moment when I was waiting to cross the street, like everything finally hit me. You know, I was about to finish mile 40 of my own during this relay. And I just can't really explain. It. I just got overwhelmed with emotion. Um, like I, I could feel whether it was my grandma or if it was some of the 215 children or whatever, I just felt somebody with me um, and that we were doing the right thing. And I'm sure for the other drivers passing by, they're probably confused because here's this guy that's just been walking up the highway and uh, I'm just sobbing. I'm just bawling my eyes out. And then the crosswalk finally comes on. I'm able to cross the street and tears still coming down, you know, finally got that last little burst of energy and was able to run across the street into the parking lot. And at that point, my both my parents were there waiting for me. 
along with the next driver and uh, I just ran up, um, eyes welling up and just gave my dad the biggest hug ever. And uh, for everyone who doesn't know, my dad is not a hugger. He is your classic old school, tough love kind of guy. Like that might've been only the third hug I've ever gotten in my life. I think the other two hugs might've been college graduation when my first kid was born. And, uh, but yeah, so it was a big deal and just gave him a big old hug and, um, then was able to try and compose myself and hop back in the van and catch back up to the relay. And I was so thankful. My sister kind of took over directing the relay while I was finishing that up and was able to coordinate with the next runners and we we're going over the Dizitel pass and everything was going smoothly. There's no more hiccups from there. Um, the cross country team, they did great. And then we actually had it set up. So the last mile before our finish, that's where we wanted people to stop and anybody and everybody, if you couldn't run, okay, we'll come and walk this last mile with us. And it was funny because the cross country kids, they were running leading up to that and they didn't want to stop. They felt good. And we had to stop them because we had a baton with us that my aunt, had painted and beaded for us I'm like no stop come over here come on I know you feel fresh but come on and so they came over and we all gathered together and um one of the councilmen of the um Colville tribes uh he he walked with us um his name's Jared awesome he's their chairman now um he was there waiting and he had the Colville tribal flag and then uh my dad, he was there with the Spokane tribal flag, and he got a smaller version of uh, the Kemloops the uh, tribal flag. And then we also had our banner for Kamloops. Um, and we all took off walking for the last mile police escort. And we finished there at the administrative building. And it was, it was awesome just that all the support um, there were several different tribes that end up all running this together. Um, it's been a little while. I'm going to try and name everyone, but if I forget someone's tribe, I apologize. We had Spokane tribe and my sister and I, so it's Kem Loops. Um, oh, yeah, my dad, he ran some of it too. But yes, yeah, so we had that. We had Colville tribe. We had uh, Nimipu. We had Navajo. We had Hopi. Um, shoot, we had, we had, uh, a Latino, a native New Zealander, we had non-native, um, you know, potentially people from 10 different peoples all gathered together for this. And um, yeah, it was really powerful. And uh, it was awesome to see in the different little local papers in these communities, non-native communities, they were writing articles about this of, hey, look, here's what's going on. And here's how our community was a part of this event. And let's raise awareness. So it was awesome to where that's not that it's a negative, but sometimes these events, they can almost feel like maybe you're patting yourself on the back of like, oh yeah, we did something, but maybe you lose sight of the end goal. But for this of like, okay, we actually did do something and it achieved our goal of raising the awareness that now these smaller non-native communities are talking about this. And so that was awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Very intertribal. It's ama amazing the mm -hmm. work you did to organize that. That that's really cool. 
Um, so d does, I was kind of curious if your experience hunting, if that had any impact in your running or, or you can just tell us how you first got into running, how that journey happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, hunting definitely was a part of it. Um, my dad, he has taken me hunting since I was like three or four years old. My earliest memories are hunting with my dad. Um, and so I've always had that appreciation for the outdoors and um, kind of how, you know, the land can provide for you respect for the land and the animals. But um, yeah, it was really initially I wasn't that into running I was more of a football guy um it was just I would do track just in the spring season because there wasn't I wasn't a baseball person at all so I'm like oh yeah let me try out track and I was never the most physically gifted I was never that one that's like oh as soon as I ran or as soon as I did this event I was a natural and yeah everything fell into place now like I was Especially back then, man, I was, I was a chubby, short kid, kind of unathletic looking and uh, kind of slowly, okay, whatever, this track thing's kind of just fun. I got into high school and yeah, I got more into football and I was more a football guy and uh, would constantly try and get the cross country kids to come onto the football team. And um, then, yeah, track, I kind of started finding my own little groove there for a bit and the four by 400 relay. Um, we went to state my junior and senior year. I think we took we took fifth both years, and that was a big deal at that point. No one from our school was really going to state, um, except for we had like one kid who was he was just athletic superstar, and so like he was going. But other than that, like no one was going, and so that was big. But it was kind of like okay, yeah, that was fun, whatever, and um, kind of drifted away from running for a bit and went to college went to community college in Spokane for a bit before going to WSU and um, I think it was right before going to WSU I'm not sure how it quite came up but I was talking with my dad and um, he's been sober my whole life so that's the only version of him I know but he'd always tell me different stories about his younger days and uh, kind of rougher times and he was telling me about um, when he was going through AA um, to get sober, that one of his goals was to run Bloomsday, um, you know, the local 12K here in Spokane, run that for every year he was sober. He wanted to get in shape to run that race. And then every year he was sober to keep running it. And I'm like, oh, wow, Dad, I wondered why you ran Bloomsday. I never knew that was why. And me, myself, I've never drank. And so I'm like, that's awesome. Like, I want to do this with you. Uh, I want to support you in that. And like, let's, let's keep this going. And so started running Bloomsday with them. And man, those first couple of times he really kicked my butt where uh, I was definitely that. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we all kind of go through that stage where you're still kind of in that high school mindset that you could just roll out of bed and do anything like, oh yeah, I can roll out of bed and you know, do this workout or do this run or whatever. And so that, that's the mindset I was in. And then uh, there's my dad, who's 32 years older than me, kicking my butt in Bloomsday. He's like, I have to start walking. and I, I can't run the whole thing. He's like, come on, you know, 
32 years older than me. Come on, man, we got this. Let's go. Let's go. And man, I'm slowing my dad down. Like, what the heck? And so there was a couple year stretch. And that was, you know, my experience with running. And it was always every year, like I'm we still tell ourselves that we want to be in better shape. And who knows, maybe I'd be a little bit better in shape than that year prior. But that was at that point, that was my running. And then uh, it wasn't really until I had a coworker talk about uh, half marathons and the Windermere half marathon. And it's like, oh, you need to do this. It's all along, it's on Centennial Trail along the river. It's all flattened downhill. It's super fast. Like you can do it. And again, man, this coworker, he's awesome. And, uh, you know, he's, he's older than me. Uh, I, I want to disrespect him in case he listens to this, but he has some kids that are close to my age. And I'm like, man, he's doing this. Like, I think I can, I think I could do a half marathon. So sure enough, I trained for it and ran my, uh, first half marathon. My goal was under two hours. I did it like an hour and 59 minutes and 30 something seconds, like really cut it close. And I'm like, okay, yeah, man. Like I, I rediscovered that love for running. And so that next year I'm like, I want to do bigger and better. Let's do a full marathon. And I got my dad convinced to do the half marathon. He's never done anything farther than Bloomsday. Like Bloomsday for him is a big chore. So he couldn't even imagine anything farther than that, but he wanted to do it. So like, all right, yeah, let's gear up. Let's train for this. And man, I was hitting my training hard. And this was in 2018. And training was going great. And then uh, in March of 2018, my daughter Aspen was born. And then becoming a parent, that completely changed my routine and my workout plan, trying to have to figure that out. So my training kind of fell off. And uh, it was funny because leading up to the marathon, my dad was worried that I was going to beat him that I was going to finish before he finished his half because the half was halfway along the course. And I think like, uh, I had an hour head start, I think, but it ended up not even being close. I hit that wall at like mile 20 and, uh, nothing's worse when, than when you're like, yeah, you know, let's, let's pick up the pace. You know, I need to pick up the pace. I need to be 30 seconds faster each mile or 15 seconds faster, whatever it is. Then your legs just don't agree when you're like, all right, yeah, let's do this. And you pick up your pace for like a hundred yards. You just feel yourself bogged back down. And like, that's what was happening. And so I finished that and man, I was hurting. I was hurting so bad. I couldn't walk up the smallest slope. It was just like, I had baby deer legs just uh, all wobbly. And then uh, I told myself, man, like never again, I'm never doing a marathon. Like those people are insane. I'm only a half marathoner, like 25K person. That's it. That's where I specialize in. Nothing more than that. And so I stayed right there for a little bit. And uh, I got kind of obsessed with my pace. Like, all right, yeah, let's just get faster. And that's what running was for me. It was just a competition. And, um, and that's how I treated it. And then it wasn't really until last year with um, cam loops and the relay and I really started seeing what running could be and how running could be healing. It could be um, spiritual. Um, it could be like a connection. And so that really changed my mindset when it came to running. And, uh, and 
and it's so funny because Josh Ember us talking after the race the wolf 26k yeah that was a crazy one yeah and we're both like never again that was miserable that was a timed hike that wasn't a run this is awful i'm never doing this again like i remember that i remember thinking that for a long time and uh so then yeah i was doing that and then like a lot of runners you know just different injuries creep up and so um I ended up having tendonitis in my Achilles and that kind of held me back. I was too stubborn. Didn't see treatment right away. Thought I could figure it out on my own. But with that, that kind of started transitioning me towards trail running. I'm like, all right, let me get off this hard pavement and um, let me start hitting the trails and getting some elevation gain and getting work that way. And so that was really my transition to the trails. And then out here on the reservation, all the trails are in my backyard, in my hunting grounds. All the different hills and ridges and valleys that my dad and I have hunted for years. And so it's like, okay, this is awesome. And almost use it as a chance to, you know, do some scouting for the annual elk hunt with my dad. And so I'm like, okay, like this is, I like this shift. And it's just such a different mindset of pounding the pavement. And for me, whenever I was on the pavement, it was always for pace versus like man let me just go out my back door and be out there in nature and see see what wildlife i can come across and just for me it just made me feel really connected to the land and so that's what i started doing and uh yeah so that was kind of that transition there and then uh um yeah then i kind of found it really it really helped with my hunting, just being more familiar with the land and being in better shape for a hunting season when that came around and having to, you know, take down an elk and drag it down to the road. And so that kind of really was my transition there and kind of, um, I guess, a lot of my running journey. You mentioned the competitiveness as a, an aspect of running that you were really focused on for a time. And I found that when I was getting into running more, I ran a marathon when I was living in Morocco. And I found that in the training process, I, at the beginning, it was more that exploration. And then once I started to track my runs and be in the training mode, uh, I started to focus on that. And I, I was wondering what your thoughts were about uh, the way that we've started to um, like quantify a lot of things that we didn't in the past, you know, like there's there are apps like Strava and Map My Run and these things where we're we're putting numbers to um, activities we're doing and we're gamifying all these different parts of our life that were just a more natural aspect of living in the past. Um, so I was curious what your what thoughts were on that. Do you feel like that takes away from the running experience, like putting putting numbers to what you're doing, or do you feel like there's a there's a space in there for that? Yeah, um, I feel like there is a space. It almost feels like with anything we have nowadays, it's like it can be a double-edged sword. It kind of just depends on how you use it, where if you let yourself be driven by those numbers, then yeah, you're and you're going to run into injuries. You're going to maybe lose some purpose. You're going to get caught up in that, but it's still a tool. So it's all up to the user on how you want to use it to where, yeah, man, on Strava, on a, well, on my Fitbit, but now I have a Garmin on all those apps and watches. 
you know, I was dialed in. I was planning my runs to try and be the fastest I could be. I was comparing my paces. There was a couple other different local runners and there was one I was really close with. And so I'd see her runs and it, they were like mostly flat too. And she was running at this pace. Like, all right, yeah, today I'm going to go hit that pace. I'm going to be just that fast and a little faster. So then I'm trying to plan a faster track and just getting caught up in that pace. And like, okay, yeah, I got my miles in, got this pace in and got really just dialed into that. And that, and it led to my tendonitis that I was pushing it. I ran a 25 K and then I did that relay and ran 41 miles. And then I ran a 26 K the next weekend. And then I think it was like the weekend after that, I went on like a 15 mile run and I ended up hurting my Achilles and it sidelined me, but it slowed me down for a while. And then it sidelined me because I got too caught up in those numbers where like now um, I'm probably not in as shape as I was last year, but I'm just in such a better mental space through my running because now instead of like focusing in on that pace, you know, like, Hey, am I hitting a seven and a half minute mile? Am I hitting seven minute mile? Um, I'm, Hey, I got my miles in, you know, and that felt good, man. You know, I climbed up this mountain and I averaged 12 minute miles. That doesn't matter, man. I, I got out there. I got my legs moving versus, you know, really getting into that data. Where was my heart rate? Was it in this peak zone for this long or, you know, did I keep it lower and all that stuff? Like, no, let's just, cause it's yeah. Double-edged sword of it's all about how you use it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure for some people um, they can just take some advice and run with it, but definitely something like that for me, I feel like it's almost like your own trial and error to find your own balance of um, how to use these tools. So you don't get lost in those numbers. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Another thing I've been thinking about lately that is connected to running in kind of a backdoor way is um, how I think a lot of people in modern day are like seeking places to connect. Um, you know, a, a lot of structures that used to be like really common in our communities that would like make us feel like attuned to what was going on a lot. I was thinking about this a lot when you were talking about the the relay you guys did that was like such a community focused like you know um, spirit driven event and I think a lot of people are searching for that and in a much more individualized way now you know a lot of people are doing yoga running there's a wellness culture that is very prominent in our um, society and I've found that running is one way that people seem to really tap into this like more spiritual side um, with themselves and so I was wondering if that's something you've experienced uh, do you feel like you're able to tap into a, a deeper spirit when you're running these long distance runs yeah yeah definitely um you know and that's that's what's weird um like with everything like I said there's a balance where especially if you look like that in the online community for those things a lot of it can be like a facade of people you know, trying to get likes or clicks or whatever. And so there's definitely a balance. And um, that's what I appreciate, you know, that community, but then also the people who keep it real of like, yeah, man, I ran today, but I ran at 15 minute mile pace. And it's like, yeah, you know, like, let us see the real thing. You don't need to 
only show us the highlights and expect that to be the norm, you know, just be real, be authentic. But yeah, definitely with running, um, especially these really long distances, a lot of the time, uh, if you're the type to listen to music or whatever, for these really long ones, more than likely your playlist isn't going to be long enough or you're going to get sick of it or uh, your podcasts aren't going to be long enough or your audiobook or whatever it is. And at some point you're going to be out there with your own thoughts. And that's something really hard, especially for us to deal with today. Um, it's so easy for us to distract ourselves from our own thoughts. You know, I'm guilty of it. I'll be around the house, you know, whether I'm, um, cleaning up after my girls or getting dinner ready or laundry or yard work. And I'll, I'll put my headphones on, throw on a podcast or audio book. And, um, just so to entertain myself and we definitely get locked into that today where we do that a lot. And it's really hard for people to grasp of just being with their thoughts. And, um, I get that a lot when I'm running like, Oh yeah. What do you listen to on that 20 mile run? I'm like nothing. I was just out there. And I feel like for me, it's a lot easier for me to do that on the trails where it's not just something visually changing, but it's also has feel more connected. And that's where my thoughts and I can really clear my mind. And, um, for me here on our reservation running, just like thinking, you know, like how many generations before me, have been in these different areas and like, you know, you know, my, my ancestors have been here since time immemorial and out here making a living and I'm passing through these same lands that they've been on. And then, uh, you know, just having that kind of connection to where, you know, you're there with your thoughts, but you don't feel alone because you feel some sort of connection to those before you. And, uh, then really this is, I do this next part. I don't recommend to everybody. I'm probably pretty reckless with this thought, but um, when I'm running in the trails and everything, I come across wildlife. Thankfully I haven't come across any predators. So grateful for that. But um, anything I come across, uh, I'm typically I, I'm respectful, but I'm not afraid. I'm not fearful. And I've, this is, again, I just want to, I don't want anyone to go in the woods with this mindset and have something bad happen. But for me, I feel like since I have that respect for them, especially when I'm hunting, I do it respectfully. I uh, don't wound animals and leave them out there. If we get something, we're so grateful. We use every piece of that animal we can. Um, and so I feel like since I have that respect for nature that in return, I feel safe while I'm out there. I'm not completely reckless. I'll usually have some sort of protection on me but I'm not fearful while I'm out there. And so that's something for me, like I can really feel that connection when I'm running and uh, I come across a herd of elk or like recently, a few weeks ago, I went on a run and I came around a corner and there was a herd of 30 elk, like 20 yards in front of me around the corner. And the elk calves were walking up the road playing. Like all my years, I've never walked up on the whole herd and calves and had calves walking up towards me playing. I've never been able to watch them play before and just to sit there and just respect them. And then they eventually caught wind of me and they moved on their own way. Then I went on my own way. And so for that, that really makes me feel connected, but you know, that's again, I just want to reiterate to that. That might not be the best line of thinking. Um, there's a lot of time I'll, I'll run with a pistol just for protection. Cause there was one time 
when I ran out and back and on the way back, I had wolf tracks on top of my tracks. So I had a wolf follow me at one point and that was really eerie. That was the one time I was fearful out there. But um, other than that, you know, I always feel like there is definitely a connection, a spiritual connection. And um, there's just something to it when you're out there, you know, in nature with no distractions and it's just really peaceful and clears your mind. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So do you have any advice for people that may be listening and just need help getting off the couch, for example, just how do you take those first few steps to get running and like to even imagine for some people, five miles, 10 miles, 30 miles, a hundred miles is unimaginable. So <laughs> quickly, yeah. How, how can someone get started? Yeah. It's just, um, we're all at different places, you know, in our running or fitness or our lives. And it's just getting up and getting out the door. If all you can do is a 10 minute walk, then do that and keep doing that. And then once you feel good, maybe you turn that into a 20 minute walk, but that's your building place. And you keep building up from there. Cause yeah, that's, you know, here in a couple of days, I'm going to be attempting a hundred miles and it's not got rolled out of bed and is able to potentially run a hundred miles. Um, I've had to build up to this point. Like I mentioned, it was 2018 when I ran my first marathon and I said, never again, this is insane. I can never do this. And, uh, then, you know, I ran 41 miles over that relay and, um, that friend who actually got me to run a half marathon in the first place, he made the joke right then and there. I remember clearly he's like, Oh, you're going to be an ultra runner now. And I'm like, no, those people are insane there's no way I'm a half marathon or nothing more. And then a year later, I'm gearing up for a hundred miler. And so it's, it's just all your frame of reference and just know we all have different starting points. I'm not the most physically gifted. I've never been super fast. I've never been a natural at anything. I've had to work for anything that I've had, especially fitness related. And, uh, so it's just, you know, you, you got to be your own cheerleader and then also kind of compete against yourself at the same time where, like I said, if you can only do that walk, do that walk. If you can only run three miles and run three miles and just find that point, just get out there and do it. That's the only way we can, you know, improve and gear up to it. That's, I was coming off of Achilles tendonitis and physical therapy. I finished that up in December. And at that point, I could only run three miles. So in December, I could only run three miles and I had to stick with it. And I had setbacks and I had a IT band syndrome in my knee after my 50 miler. And you're going to have those setbacks, especially if you're being really serious about running and you're wanting to do these long ones, you're going to have setbacks and that's okay. Um, this take that as an opportunity to learn and adapt and you're going to be stronger at the end of it. So just get out the door and move. Nice. So you, you're the, the board of directors of Renew Earth Running in like one minute or less, explain what Renew Earth Running is and how people can follow you or connect with you or support you or support an organization you would advocate for. Yeah, so Renew Earth Running is a nonprofit. Um, the tagline's legs for land back. 
supporting um, any and all land back movements um, and um, just land acknowledgement for indigenous peoples. And actually, I think the registration is going to be closing soon, but they are hosting in-person and virtual Holland for Pollen 5K. Um, you can find that on the Renew Earth Running Instagram page. I believe the link is in the bio. Um, the proceeds from that are going to um, a local uh, indigenous-led organization in Minnesota to help restore um, the Lower Phelan Creek project. So you can go there and support that. And um, the Renewers Running website's also up. Lots of good information there and connections. And so, yeah, I would just say take a look at Renew Earth Running, see what we're doing, see what we could be about, see I want to be a part. If next year you want to try and join the run team, reach out. Um, and also, if you have any questions, you can get a hold of me as well. Um, I'm happy to help anybody and everybody out. Nice. So that's renewearthrunning.com. So Danny, so thank you so much for your time and you're going to have an awesome run this weekend <laughs> and hopefully we can catch up again, like after the race, maybe Definitely. Um, when you have other stuff and other cool projects and there was so much to unpack and so much interesting things we could have talked about, but yeah, we just want to thank you for coming on, taking the time out of your day and right. yeah. thanks, Danny. appreciate it. All right. Thank you both so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Say a, say a um, uh, salutation and a common salutation in your tribe. What would that uh, be? Uh, Nemhet and See you later. We don't we don't say goodbye. We just say see you later. Nice. All right. See you later. All right. See you guys. Thank you. See ya. Yep.